0: Hey, I want to say thank you to Michael and to Julie and all the work that they put into uh, their work developing worship. I have to tell you that over the last several weeks, their efforts to match thematically the, the worship songs with the message has is, is, is gone off the charts. They've done an amazing job. And I really want you to start paying attention to that. You can clap for that. I really want you to start paying attention to that because that last song really leads into what it is that we're going to talk about today. We are in part nine of an 11-part series on the names of God. Before we get there... I uh, want to let you know that in the lobby today is a table, and I'll be out there after the service. It's uh, a table that has all the stuff that I've gathered during my journey journeys over to Israel. We have a trip that's coming up October 10 through 20. We'd love for you to consider it. I know this is the time of year where people are really start, trying to start solidifying what their travel is going to look like this year. And as you pray through that, we'd really like you to consider this trip. It's a life-changing time together. I promise you, you'll never read the Bible the same way again when you have the opportunity to walk the streets where Jesus did and kind of come to clarity about what that's really, really all about. Well, again, we are in part nine. We've been talking about the names of God. And if you've missed any of our time together so far, I love really to encourage you to go back to the website, uh, look up these different sermons. They're really, God has done some amazing things. And, and I've been blown away just by my own study and the privilege that it is to jump into this stuff each and every week. And you're not going to be disappointed today because you're going to see some things today that I've, that many of you are going to say, I never saw that before. Uh, and in truth, I never saw it before until I've had a chance to jump in and dig through it. Today's name is Jehovah Nisi, which is the Lord is our banner. And we have a kind of an understanding of banners today, what that means. We think of a flag flying and flags that represent nations or whatever it is. And we're just going to kind of blow that up today because there's so much to understand about what it is, that, what it means that God is our banner. Need to do a little bit of history. We're ultimately going to land in Exodus chapter 17. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. But by way of history, the entire book of Exodus is exactly what the name is, right? It's the Exodus. It's leaving 400 years of slavery and the wanderings through the wilderness and all of that. By the time we get to chapter 14 of the book of Exodus, the Israelites are now up against the Red Sea. They have journeyed All this way and in front of them they have the Red Sea. Behind them they have the... Egyptians barreling down on them. Got that whole thing. God rescues them. Moses raised the rod of God. The part, the waters part. This is an image of salvation, by the way. God does all the work. The people do nothing except believe and they walk across, right? And then the waters come. The Egyptian military is destroyed. We get to chapter 15. There's a song of praise. Mo, the lengthy praise a song that, that Moses sings in front of the people later in this chapter we move forward they come to a place called Mara if you remember a while back we talked about Mara it means bitter they come to a place where the water is bitter and they start grumbling and you remember this is the cycle right things go well then something doesn't go so well then they start to grumble and God gets mad and then they you know they 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 repent and then they do you know it's just this cycle so they start to grumble and uh, Moses through the power of God makes the water sweet and they drink water and they're happy again okay and then we get to chapter 16 and we see it again they start to grumble, there's no food, and you know, are there no graves in Egypt that we had to come all the way out here to be, to die, and you know, the, that whole drill. Then God sends bread from heaven. Then we get to chapter 17. They're encamped at a city called Rephidim. They grumble, there's no water. Moses strikes the rock, then we have water, and then they're happy again. And suddenly they get unhappy, because in verse 8, they come against an enemy. So here we go. Exodus chapter 17 starting in verse 8. It says, "Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. I want to show you a map. They cross the upper left-hand branch of the Red Sea somewhere. Scholars disagree about where exactly they cross over. Egypt is off to the left. They come to the Red Sea. They cross over. Then they travel down in what's called the Sinai Peninsula. You see Mount Sinai? That's the traditional spot. Again, some scholars disagree on the exact location of which mountain is Mount Sinai. But we know that Rephidim is right about there. They come to this place and Amalek attacks them. This is the first conflict that they have after they have been uh, released from captivity in Egypt. So verse eight, then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did it as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up onto the top of the mountain. Whenever whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua. I'm sorry, the Lord said to Moses, In the ear of Joshua, and I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar, and here it is, and he called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And we are going to unpack today why this is why at this particular time he declares the Lord as his banner. Why? It is this the only time in the history and the journey of the Israelites through all the different conflicts that they had, it's the one and only time where God where Moses raises up the rod of God and the people are empowered as a result. of This is very, very important. This isn't random. This isn't haphazard. It's very, very purposeful. Why it happens here. Why Moses chooses this name. What that means. And then what we're going to do is we're going to pull the thread. We're going to move all the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament. And talk about what difference does this make to you and to me today. Father, thank you. Thank you for this passage. Some unusual elements in here that are are very, very important as we come to understand our own faith journey all these thousands of years later. Be with us now as we study your word. We pray in your name. Amen. We're going to talk about three things through this passage. Three significances, if you will, the significance of Amalek, verse 8, the significance of the fight, verses 9 and 10, the significance of the banner, verses 11 through 16, and then we're going to move forward in a different section of the Old Testament into the New Testament and then answer our most important question. So the significance of Amalek, Exodus 17, verse 8, then Amalek came and fought with Israel It's very, very important for us to understand who Amalek is and what this means in the journey. In Genesis chapter 36, we understand, we come to know that Amalek is Esau's grandson. So we have Jacob and Esau. Esau Esau's the older brother, yet the younger brother gets the blessing. He becomes the spiritual line of the people of God. Esau rejects his spiritual journey. He rejects God. He rejects his birthright and everything that comes with it. Amalek represents the flesh. I'm sorry, Esau represents the flesh. Jacob represents the spiritual line that's carried on down through his grandson Amalek. In Numbers 24, 20, we see that Amalek was the first to oppose the people of Israel. In Deuteronomy 25, we recognize that Amalek did not fear God. Just like his grandfather Esau did not fear God and despised his spiritual birthright. We fast forward in Numbers 14, 40 years later, spies go into the land. Remember, they come to the brink of the Holy Land. They send in spies. The spies come back. What do eight out of the 10 say? They say, we can't do this. We can't do this. They're so big. They're so big. God says, do it. They say, we're not going to do it. God says, okay, none of you will enter the land. You will all die off. Okay, okay, we'll do it. Don't do it. I'm not with you. Too late. What do they do? They do it. They go in. What happens? They get crushed. By who? The Amalekites. The Amalekites, they show up again. Then we journey through the judges, a 400-year time period. We get to the the season of the the period of the kings in 1 Samuel. Uh, We see 1 Samuel 15. Saul is commanded by uh, Samuel in the power of the Holy Spirit to do what? To kill, to annihilate the Amalekites. Saul comes back. Remember the story? He says, I've done it as it has been commanded. Except for the king. I saved the king. King Agag. And then Samuel looks at Saul and he says, Well, what is this bleeding of sheep I hear in my ears? If you followed my commands, because you were supposed to wipe out everything. And he said, well, I saved the best for our sacrifices. To obey is better than sacrifice. Second Samuel one, Saul receives a mortal wound at the battle against the Philistines on Mount Gilboa. And who claims to run Saul through when he says, don't let, me, don't let me die at the hands of the Philistines. They'll make sport of me. But a young Amalekite passerby. Fast forward again from 1000 BC to 478 BC. We come to the exile, to the Persian Empire, where we find Queen Esther. Esther becomes Queen. And Uncle Mordecai basically says, it's all you. You're all we got. God will provide a way. I don't know how he's going to do it. But for such a time as this. Because there's a man named Haman who is an Agagite. He is a descendant of King Agag. The one remaining line of the Amalekites. And so the Amalekites and ultimately the Agagites. We're the line of people all the way back to Esau who represent the constant battle of the flesh. The constant battle of sin in this world against the spiritual line of the living God. The significance of Amalek is that Amalek represents the constant battle of the flesh. The need that we have of a savior. Number two, the significance of the fight. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for, for us men and go and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses and Aaron and her went to the top of the hill. It's very important for us to understand that the Israelites had just been released from slavery. They had no organization. They had no structure. They had one general. That's it. Joshua. There was no hierarchy of military. There were no resources. There were no weapons. They had no weapons. They are an ill equipped, undisciplined, inexperienced mob against a well armed and experienced adversary. And yet they win. And yet they win. And it's critical for for us to understand that in and of themselves, they were no match. In any earthly paradigm, to be able to do what happened. And that is very critical for what we're going to see in just a few moments. The odds were absolutely against them. Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 17 help us understand the significance of of the reality of the conflict between the flesh and the spirit, even as believers, and the need for the power of the living God. It says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, Paul says. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So no, now no longer it is I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And this tension we see throughout all of history represented in Agag as, I'm sorry, the Amalekites as the flesh. And we see it lived out in the constant fight in our battle in this world. Number three, the significance of the banner. The significance of the banner. When Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. Moses was standing on the hill. He was holding up the staff of God. We picture it sort of with both hands. Why? Because he needed her on one side and Aaron on the other side to help hold him up as he started to get tired. And every time he held his hands up, the Israelites would prevail for no earthly reason. It was God who was doing it. And when he started to drop his hands, they, Amalek, would prevail. The power of God evidenced in the battle. Now banners today, we understand them in some measure. We understand what a flag represents. We understand that when we raise a flag, that's the nation in in which we live. We understand that when a nation conquers another nation, that the conquered nation's flag goes down and the conquering nation's flag goes up. And for us, that's kind of the limit of what we understand when it comes to flags, banners, this sort of thing. But in ancient times, they didn't have the communication tools that we have today. When they went into battle, the banner, the ensign, the sign, if you will, was raised as the rallying point, as the focus. This is who we are. This is where we're going. Follow me as we launch into battle together. The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia says, a banner was an ensign or a standard carried at the head of a military band or body to indicate the line of march. Or the rallying point. When they came to the Red Sea. Moses raised the rod. The banner. God provided salvation. At no effort to the Israelites. That's very important. At the battle of Rephidim. Moses raised the rod of God. The banner. And the people prevailed. But they were in the fight. And the power of God was evidenced. Every time the banner of God was raised. Verse 12. But Moses hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands. One on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady. Until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek. And his people with the sword. All they had to do was look at the banner, recognize God's control, and God's power was infused. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is My Banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And indeed, there was war from generation to generation, all the way up through the exile in Persia. A flag in our world. Picture this. You're in a foreign land. It's a hostile land. Perhaps you work with the State Department or some sort of thing. And you recognize that your situation has been compromised. And now you are at great risk. What do you do? One of your primary thoughts is I need to get to the American embassy where the American banner is flying for there. I will find three things. I see my salvation, if you will, my identity as an American and the power that I need for the battle that is at hand. And those three things are what the banner in the ancient mind represent. Salvation. Identity. And power in the battle. And if you write nothing down today, write those three things down as we unpack what it means, what the banner means. And every ancient people knew this. They all needed banners, it was the rallying point, it was the sign, it was what they looked to for power, for strength, for identity. Nathan Stone in his book, Names of God, says the rod was the symbol and pledge of God's presence and power. The significance of Amalek, it's a battle with between the flesh and the spirit. It's the ongoing, constant battle that we all face in this world. The significance of the fight was God's power in the battle. The significance of the banner, it's the rallying point for salvation, for identity, and for that power in the ongoing journey. You see, at this point is where we understand, well, why did this even happen? This is so odd that they raise the staff, they win. They lower it, they start to lose. Why did that happen? Why is it the only time? And then why did Moses say, this is, we're going to call this the Lord is my banner? Because as we pull the thread through the rest of the Bible, we come to clarity about the issue of banner and what it means for you and for me today. Let's fast forward to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2 and 10 and 11. This is where Isaiah prophesies what is to come. He's looking back to Exodus and he prophesies what's going to come in the Messiah. He says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. What is that? That is the Messiah. And a branch from his roots. Shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit spirit of knowledge. And the fear of the Lord. In that day. The root of Jesse. Who shall stand as a signal. Same word. As a banner. As a flag. As the place that we look to for salvation. For identity and for power. That's what the root of Jesse will be. Whom shall be who will stand as a signal for the people of him shall the nations, all the nations inquire and his resting place shall be glorious. He will raise a signal, a standard, a banner for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Jesus, Isaiah prophesies, will be the banner of God. There's a strange occurrence in the book of Numbers. It's very odd. And if you read it in isolation, this story, you're like, what is that about? That's so weird. Numbers chapter 21. And the people were complaining against God and against Moses. You know, nothing new there. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. They're talking about the manna coming down from heaven. God's provision for them. They're like, back in Egypt, we had all sorts of cool stuff. This is garbage. The Lord sent serpents among them. I don't know what your fears are in life. I have very few. I am slightly claustrophobic. I love heights. Take me as high as you want. No problem. Snakes? No. No, no, no. See those images of people finding a snake in their house or coming up through their toilet or whatever? Oh, yeah, I'd be moving. I'd be moving the next day. The Lord sends snakes among the people. And they said, Lord, we have sinned. Lord, we have sinned. Take the serpents away. And what does God command Moses to do? He makes a bronze snake and he puts it on a staff and he raises it up as a banner. Again, you, you and I are thinking flag. Don't think that. A banner could be anything that is lifted up for the people to look to. Sometimes ancient banners were actually made of wood or made of metal that glistened in the sun. That people could look to for direction as a rallying point. And all they had to do when Moses raised up this serpent, this strange, weird story that in isolation seems totally bizarre. When they, he lifts up the snake, what do the people have to do in order to be healed? All they have to do is look at it. They just look at it. They don't have to do anything. They just look at it. So weird until you get to the New Testament. Until you get to Gen, uh, excuse me, John chapter 3. You remember John chapter 3 is the passage. Where Jesus engages Nicodemus. He talks about being born again. He gives us John 3.16. Right? Jesus died for the whole world. That whoever believes in him shall not perish. But have eternal life. It's Kind of the capstone. Verse in the whole Bible. About Jesus. The two verses prior to John three sixteen, help us understand this really weird passage back in the book of Numbers, verses fourteen and fifteen. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness as a banner for people to look at who can be healed, out of no doing of their own I will provide their salvation, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, and whoever believes in him may have eternal life. John chapter 12 and I when I am lifted up from the earth will draw all people to myself he said this to show by what kind of death he is going to die this is so rich this is where when you pull the thread you the light bulb you know like light bulb right you know okay never mind that's a that's a movie okay forget it uh when you kind of see it all come together Even the mechanism of death that God chose for Jesus to endure goes all the way back to Exodus chapter 17. Goes all the way back to Exodus 17. God could have chose any mechanism of death for Jesus to be our substitute. Why did he choose crucifixion? A couple of reasons. One, we've talked about this many times. The Romans had perfected the degree of suffering that a person would go through before they actually died. It was a horrible, painful, awful suffering before you die. The second reason is that Jesus would literally be lifted up for people to look upon as their only option, as a banner, as their rallying point, as their focus for salvation, for identity, and for power in the battle. And Jesus then is the ultimate banner of God. He is our jehovah nisi today and it was designed to be that way from the very beginning and moses lifted up his arms in that first battle not because god couldn't empower them any other way but so that we could look back and see the thread of god's provision from the very beginning from the first battle that they experienced after leaving captivity Why did Moses, why did God send snakes into the the people to begin with? That's such a weird story. Why would Moses lift up a serpent, a bronze serpent on a stick? So that Jesus could say, I am that. I am that banner. And just as Moses lifted up a snake so the people could look upon that and be healed. So I will be lifted up. The mechanism of death where people look up at this person dying, designed from eternity past to run a thread through the entire Bible, for you and for me to call Jesus our Jehovah Nisi, our banner, our rallying point, our flag, what we look to for salvation, for identity. And for power in the battle. We see this in Hebrews chapter 12. Verses 1 and 2 where it says. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance. And the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance. The race that is set before us. Here it is. Fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Why did Peter start to sink when he got out of the boat and started walking on the water? Why? Because it took his eyes off of Jesus. He got scared. He got rattled by the the, the storm around him. And I bet that when any of us get rattled, When any of us are in a battle, and we start to struggle, and we feel like we're sinking, it's because we've taken our eyes off of the banner. We've taken our eyes off of Jesus. And if we're a follower of Christ, we've already accepted him as our salvation. But on a daily basis, I must embrace him as my identity and as my source of power as I live this life. And that was by God's design all the way back to Exodus chapter 17. You understand that the flesh is never reformed, right? And there's no such thing as sinless perfection. There are those sects of Christianity that believe that in, in, in sinless perfectionism, that we get better and better and better and better and better over time. Do you know anybody like that? Like, like really, are you, are you like that? Be honest. No, we're not. That's no one. And the constant battle with the flesh, Romans 7 style, the very things I hate I end up doing, the things I want to do I just don't do. Who will save me from this body of death? Our banner, Jesus Christ, will. Martin Luther put it this way, understanding that Jehovah Nissi means that Jesus provides our salvation. He said, I more fear what is within me than what comes from without. I agree with Martin Luther on that one. It's not the attack from without that is the problem. It's the erosion from within when we forget that Jesus is our banner of salvation. Is Jesus your banner of salvation today? There are three groups of people, I think, that are in this room people who have embraced Jesus as their banner, as their salvation, who are living that out. And there are people who are with us today, either here or online. Who have not accepted Jesus as their banner. Their eyes are not fixed on him. They are not focused on him for salvation. And that may be you today. And if it is, we're going to give you an opportunity to embrace Jesus as your banner. As the one you look to for your salvation. There's a third group of people I believe that are here today. People who perhaps grew up in a Christian home. People who perhaps at one point in time prayed a prayer. And you understand that prayers don't save us, but belief saves us. Actually believing what I pray is what saves me, not saying words. Who maybe grew up in a home... Where they prayed that prayer, but Jesus today is not functioning as their banner and therefore is not their salvation. Who have not really walked the walk, maybe paid lip service. And I understand how hard that is. We've raised our kids in a a Christian home and we've had multiple conversations with our kids about how how hard it is for them to own their own faith. I don't want to just do what you do, dad, because you're the pastor and this is what you and mom have chosen. I need to own this for myself. And have I done that? Uh, And we have these conversations. Every one of us needs to own that personally. And there's some of us who have grown up all around it and yet still haven't owned it. Is Jesus your banner today? For your salvation. Number one. Number two. The question that we have to answer. Is Is Jesus my identity? Is my daily living. Everything that has to do. With Jesus in me. There's a story. About a dad who went to watch his son play. A sporting event. And as they were playing on the field. There was a a bad hit. Against him. He was angry. There was a bad call. And he behaved in an unbecoming way, in an unsportsmanlike way out on the field. And after the game, his dad pulled him aside and he said, hey, um, what's the n- name on the back of your jersey? He said, well, that's our last name. He said, no. He said, that's my name. That's my name. It was my name before it was your name. And when you're out on that field, you're going to live out an identity that reflects The banner that you're wearing on your back that is our name. And the question is, do we live out daily the reality that Jesus is our banner? He provides our identity and we're wearing his name on our jersey each and every day, each and every day. Do you get your identity from Jesus? Do you get your identity from your work? Do you get your identity from your performance? Do you get your identity from who likes you and who you get to hang around? That's tempting. Over the course of 40 some years of following Jesus and being in significant positions and being at a mega church, I've gotten to run around with some really cool people, some really well-known people. And that's fun. It is. It is until being connected to them means more to you than it really should. Where's your identity come from? When you lift up Jesus as your banner and recognize that he is your salvation, you, we need to live out daily that he is also my identity. Third and finally today, Jesus, as Jehovah Nissi, provides our salvation, he provides our identity, and he provides power in the battle. There's no good reason why the Israelites prevailed over the Amalekites other than the power of God in them. And they didn't have to do anything except fight and show up. God did the rest. He showed that by the lowering and the raising of the banner. When it was lowered, they stunk. They couldn't make it happen. When it was raised, they prevailed. Why? Because something changed in them? No, not at all. It was the power of God and keeping their eyes fixed on the banner was the source of their power. As a kid growing up, our summer vacations were always to the Jersey shore. I grew up in the Philadelphia area. My grandmother lived at the beach. If you stood on her front porch on this very small island adjacent to Atlantic City that no one had ever no one's ever heard of. Even people who live in New Jersey. Um, She was. Three blocks to the beach and two blocks to the bay. And if on a certain day when the winds had prevailed over the dunes, you could see water on both sides. And there's a couple times in some storms where that water met in the, right in the middle, right in front of her house. So every year, for many, many years, we took our, have taken our kids to Ocean City, New Jersey for a vacation. We've probably been there, I don't know, 17 or 18 times out of Natalie's 20 years of life. And one summer, I do what I always do and when I go on vacation as I went out for my morning run. And I came to an intersection. As I began to cross the intersection, I heard a sound over my left shoulder. It was a car that had startled me and was fearing that it may be turning into my lane and so forth. But I continued to run across the roadway. In the center of the roadway, there had been a hole in, in the blacktop that had been patched very poorly so, with some blacktop that was raised up about a half to an inch off of the regular surface. On the other side of that patch job, because of the constant travel, what ha- you know, uh, cars create little patterns, and on that side is where all the gravel came to rest. And as I took my eyes off of the direction that I was running, the focus on where I was going, because I had glanced over my shoulder, my right toe hit, my right, the toe of my right foot hit that raised blacktop. And I went down hard into the gravel with all of my weight on my right hand and all of the skin on my right palm just literally rolled back up to my wrist. I could show you a picture. I won't, but I could. (laughs) I I took a picture that day in the urgent care as I was sitting there like this. And I walked up to a house and, and literally, I couldn't even tell what happened. It was so bad. It was so bloody. And I said, I could use your, could I use your hose and kind of rinsed off and saw how bad it really was. And then said, yeah, I need to go to the urgent care. And I realized that day a very important lesson that when you take your eyes off the target, you can face some very serious consequences. If you have not listened to the Armor of God series, the four-week Armor of God series that we did in July of 2018, when it comes to the battle and God's empowerment in the battle, I really want to encourage you to go back. Because God's tools that he uses through us we put on the belt of truth but it's his power that applies the truth to our lives we put on the breastplate of righteousness but it's his righteousness that works through us we put on the sh- the, the shoes of the gospel of faith right and he, yet he works through that stability of that it, it, we have to pick up the shield of faith but he empowers our faith to extinguish the darts of the enemy we put on the helmet of salvation to keep our head in the game if you will And it's yet him who works through the reality of our salvation. We pick up the sword of the spirit. But it is him who works through the sword of the spirit through his word. Applied to each and every battle situation that empowers us along the way. Is Jesus Christ your banner today? Is Jesus Christ the one that is lifted up? That is providing salvation and identity And power for your daily living? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ, but on a daily basis you are not resting in that salvation and identity and power? Do you need to declare Jesus as your banner today? As your rallying point? As your focus for everything? Did you grow up in the church? You were around this talk all the time, but you're not experiencing the joy of his salvation or the reflection of his identity or the the power that he can provide in your daily battle and you you need to do business with God today or you're here as a person who says, yeah, I don't have any of that. I, I know I'm not a believer in Jesus. And you recognize the need that you have to commit your life to Jesus today and declare him and lift him up literally happened 2,000 years ago at the cross, spiritually can happen for you today as we bow our heads and pray right now. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the passage in Exodus 17 and understanding why Moses once and only once raised up the rod of God as a banner in that very first battle. Why it is that, Moses raised up a snake in the wilderness. That crazy weird story to illustrate. For generations to come. The ultimate fruition in that. In Jesus being lifted up. And thank you that Jesus was lifted up on a cross. As a very physical tangible representation. Of what it means to lift him up. In our hearts and in our minds spiritually to embrace him. Father thank you. I pray, Father, for any here today who have never seriously embraced Jesus Christ. Lord, I ask you to help them to recognize and acknowledge to you that they are a sinner in need of a Savior. Father, that they are desperate to gain salvation, desperate to have a new identity in you, giving up all the other things that they use to build up their identity. And Father, that only in all of that can they have power, your power, to live successfully in the battle in this life, Lord God. God, thank you for what it is that you've done and what it is that you will do if we would only lift you up, Lord Jesus, as our banner. We love you, Lord. We pray in your great name, amen.